Welcome to the Forger Podcast, where I talk with cottage food entrepreneurs about their strategies for running a food business from home. I'm David Crable, and today I'm talking with Juno Rosales, who has an incredible business journey to share. But real quick, I wanted to check, have you created a website for your business yet? If you have, do you pay for it? A lot of entrepreneurs still think they need to spend money to get a good website, and that is simply not true anymore. I am a really big fan of Square Online. That's what I use for my Fudge Business website, and I created a free tutorial that will walk you through how to set up a totally free website in less than an hour. And in case you think free also means cheap, it's actually quite the opposite. I think Square Online is hands down the very best website tool for most cottage food businesses, and it's even better than any of the paid services out there. So if you want to learn more, you can check out my free tutorial by going to forger.com slash website. All right, so I have Juno Rosales on the show today, and like most of my guests, Juno started her food business from home. But unlike most of my guests, that home was in the Philippines. Juno was living in Metro Manila in the Philippines when the pandemic hit, and to find comfort during the COVID lockdown, she started experimenting with making desserts at night in her pajamas after her kids went to bed. And one night, she made a frozen cake that she shared on social media, and that's how her business, The Pajama Baker, was born. Over the course of the next year, her frozen cakes became super popular, and her business grew both organically and rapidly in the Philippines. But then, in 2021, she decided that she wanted to move her family back to the States and set up a second location, The Pajama Baker, in Los Angeles, California, which she did. So she now runs her thriving business in the Philippines from overseas and also has essentially a second business that she's running in California. Not to mention that she is also a dedicated mom of four children. Very crazy indeed. It is a fascinating business journey to say the least, and you will pick up on many important insights along the way. And with that, let's jump right into this episode. Welcome to the show, Juno. Nice to have you here. Thank you for having me, David. I'm so excited. Well, Juno, you have quite an amazing business journey and story. Can you share a little bit about how this frozen cake business got started? The frozen cake business started during 2020. It was the peak of COVID and we were all stuck at home, <laughs> locked down at home, doing nothing. And so I started cooking because what else is there to do, right? After my kids would go to bed, I would stay in the kitchen in my pajamas and start cooking anything, anything I could think of, anything I see on TikTok or anything, you know, I crave for. I start cooking it after they go to bed. And so that's how the pajama baker was born. And this all happened in the Philippines, by the way. I lived in the Philippines and obviously I was stuck there. So I couldn't come back to America at that time. And at that time, we didn't know when the country was going to open. And so after doing those little experiments, I'm like, okay, maybe we can start sharing it with friends. And that grew on to, okay, maybe we can start selling it to friends. And then later on, it was like, okay, strangers are coming in to order. And then later on, it was like, now we need a website. So it just grew and grew from there. And finally, when the country opened up, I decided to move back to America. So now I'm here and 
I opened the same thing, but obviously it's not the same here and it's not the same in the Philippines. So it's kind of a different story, but the basic concept of Pajama Baker is sharing feel-good food and that's the whole purpose. Yeah, no, it, it's a crazy story. You're now running an international brand across the ocean. And can you share a little bit about your background? You were living in the Philippines when the pandemic hit, obviously got stuck there, but you also were living in LA. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. So I used to live in LA. We moved to the Philippines a few years ago. In between, we were still doing LA in the Philippines. So we were really moving back and forth. We would spend a few weeks or months in LA, then most of the time in the Philippines, but be back here every like Christmas break or because I have kids, by the way, I have to follow their schedule. So every time they get a break from school, we're here in LA. So before the pajama baker, I had a clothing business, a baby clothing business, and I would buy my clothes here in LA and sell it in the Philippines. So I was really doing the whole back and forth thing for a while now, but not with food. It's still very different, but at least it was sort of my training ground. Like it gave me an idea on how the Philippine market is very different from the U.S. market. That was like sort of my intro to both countries and opening a business in both countries. Were you born in the United States? Oh, no, I was born in the Philippines. I actually was born and raised in the Philippines. I went to college in America. I went to FITM in L.A., so I studied fashion, <laughs> which is very far from cakes. <laughs> and then I met my husband. We started our family here, then decided to move back to the Philippines. And then now we're back here. But it's so interesting. You're talking about your clothing business. So you're already a successful business owner before this whole thing came about. But it's usually the opposite, right? Like usually we're importing clothing into this country from overseas. You're doing it backwards. Can you share a little bit about why you started the clothing business? Yes. So it started when I gave birth to my daughter. She was like my doll, you know, I was dressing her up, you know, in ways that I wanted to. And back in the Philippines, we didn't have these kinds of clothes. And then since I studied in FITM, I knew where to buy things. They taught us in school, like how to merchandise. So it was really just being at the right place at the right time. I had a daughter. I knew where to buy the clothes. And then I said, okay, let's sell it in Manila because nobody has it there. And then I want to say a few months, a department store in the Philippines picked it up. So I thought this was the way to go. And then COVID hit and people weren't buying clothes. (laughs) No one wanted to buy luxury dresses in 2020. But people were buying food. And that's how this whole business shifted. Wow, that's so fascinating. So how long were you running the clothing business before the pandemic hit? Yeah, it was three years. And then it's still up and running now, actually. It's still in the department store. And it's kind of a struggle to um, juggle too many businesses in two different places with different time zones. But hey, we're here. (laughs) Like I say, you essentially have, what, three businesses, right? You've got the Pajama Baker in the Philippines, you have Pajama Baker in the U.S., and you have this clothing store in the Philippines, and you're importing from the U.S., and you're a mom of four kids. How do you make that work? People would ask me sometimes, like, what's a typical day for you? And honestly, the answer is there's really no typical day because you really have to go with the flow. I mean, it's very important that you know what your first and foremost job is, and that's being a mom. 
And I know that. I know that. So my days revolve around my kids. I know that I also need to be flexible. I need to know my priorities in the ranking. You know, number one is still always the children. They're after school activities. They're schooling. After that would be pajama baker because that's in high demand. Like, you know, every day there's something happening. And so that's next in my list. After that would be the clothing business because with the clothing business, you have seasons and you can plan in advance. After I ship it, that's it. It's the department store's job to sell it. So it's really having a ranking, a priority list and not doubting your list because I feel like some people, they they struggle with, oh my gosh, I feel guilty. You know, I'm a mom, but I need to focus on this. If your priorities are clear, it makes it doable. What would you say that your clothing business experience, what did you learn from that that helped you when you started the food business? I did learn branding. I learned it in school. So I had, you know, the basics. But to apply it and really create a brand from scratch, it was almost like therapy to me. You know what I mean? Like I was learning about what I liked about children's clothing. But at the same time, it was also giving me ideas about, oh, because this is how I dress. But why do I dress this way? Oh, yeah, because I want to look this way. Like I wanted my kids to look polished. So it's sort of like learning all those things, branding, learning about yourself, what you like, what you don't like, what kind of branding works, what's your target market. That whole package, you can actually see the similarities with the clothing brand in Pajama Baker. If you look at it closely, even the logos, they're like, okay, this is just a kid version of the Pajama Baker. But it also has like a small character. So you know what I mean? Like they have the same feel. And I think I learned how to create the pajama baker package after learning from my clothing brand package. Yeah. And I did see that you really branded the pajama baker in a very like elegant way early on. I mean, you're just selling frozen cakes, right? But like you added this level of elegance to a pretty, I don't know, not a super fancy product, right? Exactly. I mean, some people don't believe really in spending a lot of money in marketing and branding, but that's what worked for me. And I was surprised to find out that, wait, hey, I was good at it too. I didn't realize that. <laughs> like it worked. So it was such a, it's a self-discovery moment. I know that you baked or, or made things in your kitchen, in your pajamas as like therapy because you're in the middle of a pandemic lockdown. And I know kind of what the lockdown I experienced was over here. What was the lockdown like in the Philippines? One thing is that it was very long. <laughs> it was really long. Like my kids were still in online school up until I want to say this year. Because when we moved back to America, I didn't get to move them to a school year right away. So they were doing still the Philippine school online. And that was what, 2022? It still is a very long period. They had more rules to follow as well. So we had to wear face shields for a long, long time. I remember traveling from Manila to LA, which is like a 16-hour flight, and we had to wear the mask and the shield at the same time. And that was 2021. So you could say that it was a bit more complex in the Philippines versus here. And I'm just happy that now things are slowly getting back to normal. 
Although I want to point it out that because things are getting back to normal, my cake sales also shifted because I was selling it online. Now that people are back out, I realize, okay, people are buying from a store. So now I actually, I'm filing my license to sell in a store. I mean, we got to go with the flow, right? We can't stick to just online if people are already outside. So yeah, that's a good point to make. Okay, so let's talk about, you know, you start experimenting in the kitchen and then it sounds like this whole frozen cake business happened very organically. But when did you like, when did you have a feeling that this might be something I could build a business off of? It started with just the taste. I was like, oh my God, this is so good. We need to share this. Sharing like sharing for free because I, you know, at the peak of COVID, we're like, oh, okay, people are suffering and all that. What can I do? What would be my role? So I was just sharing this cake for people to feel good. And then after that, I was like, okay, it doesn't just make you feel good. It actually tastes really good. And then when a friend actually offered and said, I can buy it from you, I was like, okay, then this is it. Maybe we can start selling it. That was actually the the aha moment. It was when a friend, someone you would give it for free to, she was like, no, I want to buy it from you. So that's how it started. Once, you know, you started to think, okay, I can sell this. I don't know what the Philippines is like, but like, how did you actually get your product out there? Like if you're in a lockdown, were you just like delivering everything personally or were you using any service to like promote your cakes? So in the beginning, we, I started in a chat group. (laughs) It was that simple. It was a group in our village and people were exchanging like food as gifts. They were buying food from one neighbor and giving it to another neighbor as a gift. That's how it started. So it was so simple. I could just walk to their house and deliver it. And then after that, when friends started buying it, which was outside my village, in the Philippines, there's this almost like an Uber Eats, I want to say, similar service, but they deliver anything. They can pick up anything and deliver anything. So it's sort of like an, or maybe like a Postmate. So I got that. And then after that, when things really blew up, I couldn't handle orders, giving orders one by one. It was just too stressful. And it took us the whole day just handing out orders to each driver. So we actually partnered up with a reefer truck. It's almost like a freezer truck. And then they deliver the cakes for me, which now is makes everything way easier because they just come one time. You give the orders for the day. And then they deliver it to all the houses. So in the Philippines, it's still very much the same. This truck delivers to all of my clients. Here in America, wow, it's still a struggle because we are so far apart from each other. You know what I mean? Like, Like Santa Monica is very far from like Sherman Oaks. So it's hard to find someone who would come over to pick up a cake and deliver it to those places. So here, what I figured is I can just have everybody come and pick it up from my place. So that's what we do. But also, I found a Filipino friend who was willing to deliver the cake. So we hired him as almost like an Uber driver. And now he delivers the cakes anywhere in L.A. County and also that pickup point in San Dimas. Yeah, I mean, it's so different, like trying to get this product out in LA versus in the Philippines. And here's an interesting question. Let's say you were actually locked down in in California, right? And and the same thing happened, you know, you're like stuck in lockdown, you started making things as therapy, you found the, the Dalgona TikTok trend, you made this cake, somebody, you know, like a friend offered to buy it from you. 
Do you think that you would have been successful getting this business off the ground in LA as you were in the Philippines? I think yes, but with a different route. I would have done a farmer's market right away. You know what I mean? I, in Manila, I, I relied on social media so much because everyone was on social too. But here in LA, people like seeing it. Like before they try it, you know, I got to give samples. So things like that, I would have done. I Yes, it would have been successful, but I would have gone a different route. Yes, I would do a website. Yes, I'll do social media. Delivery is just a struggle. So delivery is not part of the plan <laughs> or wouldn't be part of the plan in the beginning. Now, this whole frozen cake thing, right? I feel like, I don't know, like, are frozen cakes really that common in the United States? Like, or do people know what you're talking about when you say frozen cake? No, they don't. And it's really a different kind of cake. So people know ice cream cake, right? Ice cream cake is ice cream <laughs> um, layered as cake. So my cake is really frozen cream, frozen homemade cream. It's not ice cream. It's frozen cream. Well, I actually know what it is because one of the things passed down in my family is called an icebox cake, right? And it's basically just like a cookies and cream cake. And it used to be very popular. I want to say in my grandmother's generation, that's probably where the term icebox came from, but it's just become less and less popular in the U.S. So in the Philippines, are frozen cakes really like common? Like, do people know what you're talking about? No, too. What's common is called the refrigerator cake. So it's still a different version of your icebox. It's different because it, there it's refrigerator cake. And this is just a different version of it. But yes, they're the same. It comes from the same root. So you, you feel like it was probably just as difficult to get your product out there in the Philippines. Like you just needed to educate customers about what this actually is. Yes. You know, in the beginning, people will buy it, right? And I sell it as frozen cake. But because they're so used to refrigerator cake... Once they get it, they put it in the refrigerator and then it melts. So it took a while. Even my label on the cake, it says, freeze me, please. And then it's like bright. It's like in a blue font or blue background because it took a while for people to realize, okay, this needs to be in the freezer. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, it's the same struggle here. I even send out a card that has instructions, says, you know, once you get this, please freeze. Do not thaw before eating. Eat it frozen. Because yes, it's new, but then that's what makes it good. It's different. So when you start this business in the Philippines, um, obviously you start it from home. It was very organic. The laws, I'd imagine, are different. I have no idea what the laws are like for starting a food business. Can you just shed a little bit of light on like what the process was in order to, I mean, was your business legal when you're selling these from home? And then like, what, what were the steps to get it legalized in the Philippines? I'm just curious. It's so funny you asked that. So in COVID, everybody started a business. Everybody had a food business. And so there was no like strict law about it in the Philippines. Everyone had an Instagram business. But when it boomed in COVID, now they're like, okay, we need to put something in place. They started being strict about these Instagram businesses and they wanted these businesses to have the proper paperwork. Fortunately, my father is a businessman. So in the beginning, he already told me, you better file for everything, even for your name, so nobody can get it. 
thank God that I listened to him because true enough, a little, you know, a few months later, someone sort of copied the name. It was a very similar name and only added one letter. (laughs) But because I had the proper paperwork, everything was okay. But the laws are very different. And I could say that in America, it's more, we have more rules over here. So it was a struggle for me to open here. It took a while for me to open because I needed to learn all these things. I needed to learn. I mean, I didn't even know like frozen food, frozen cakes are tax exempt here in America. And I didn't know that. So I don't know if it's the same for all businesses, but in the Philippines, it was the concept first. Then you file for paperwork after. But because also I knew America is stricter, it was paperwork first. (laughs) Then you do the whole business thing after. I couldn't really move until I had all my paperwork filed here in America. All right. So let's talk about like the trajectory of your business. In the Philippines, obviously, you started with this like Dalgona coffee cake that became really popular. And what did you add to that? I mean, I know you started adding flavors, right? Like when did those come along? Yes. So in the Philippines, we have six flavors. So after Dalgona, I realized that the kids can't have it because it it is from real coffee. So I created the Speculus Cake. And that one was just such a big hit. That's my, my daughter's favorite cake. Like she has it for her birthday every time. After that, we had the Banana Surprise Cake. This is in the Philippines. So we have banana, malted milk, Twix, and strawberry Nutella. But in America, we only have the Dalgona, Speculus, and Strawberry Nutella. And the reasoning for that is the kitchen operation in America is different from the Philippines. So even pricing is different. So I had to pick and then see where this takes us and then add from here. I know that the Speculus cake is like maybe your most popular, second most popular cake, right? But that's a new term to me. I never heard of that. Like, what is that? Oh, so Speculus, it's a Belgian cookie. This cup is the brand, but the cookie itself is called Speculus. They used to eat this in Belgium and they pair it with coffee. So I figured, wow, this is going to be a good match. They'll go in a coffee and then Speculus, it's like you can mix it in your plate. It's going to be real good. Yeah, that was it. That's how we started. And how did you add these? Like, did they come every few months or did you add a lot of them at the beginning? No, again, just like how I, my lifestyle is, it just comes naturally, <laughs> randomly. <laughs> so like this speculus cake was because my son couldn't have the Gona coffee. After that was the banana surprise because one of my favorite fruits, well, I only love bananas. I only eat bananas and mangoes. Now I can add more to my list, but growing up, those were my only two fruits. So I added banana. After that was malted milk because my mom is just a fan of malt. After that was Twix because obviously Twix is the best chocolate in town, in the world. (laughs) And then after that would be the strawberry Nutella, which was just an experiment last December, 2021. And that one is interesting because I was experimenting here in LA. It was amazing. So I was, I texted my Philippine kitchen. I was like, can we do this in the Philippines? So they also started experimenting and then, you know, the rest is history. Now it's six flavors over there. So it's quite one thing to obviously start a business in the U.S., right? But it's a whole nother thing when you already have 
I guess, two businesses running overseas. So when you moved back to the U.S. after the pandemic let up, like you didn't just have to like create a new business in the U.S. You also like had to, I guess, automate the business in the Philippines, right? Like what was that like? Like how did you get it to the point where you could literally leave the entire country? Okay, so in the Philippines, when orders started pouring in, it was one order after the other. I couldn't keep track. I couldn't just use an Excel sheet and, and remember all the orders. So I had to figure out how to put it in a system. In the beginning, I used a form, an automated form. But after that, I was still even, you know, now I need to figure out payment. How would I know if this person paid? That's where I started a website. So I had Shopify um, built in my website. Now things are easier. But then one thing to note is in the Philippines, people still prefer paying cash. So it was quite difficult for me because they would put the order online and then they would send me a copy of their payment, like a photo of their payment using like a Venmo. So they would send me a copy of the photo and still had to match the photo to the order. So it's still a bit of a struggle, but we're used to it by now. And then some people are also open to PayPal, so which is good because it makes things easier for me. But yes, I was able to systemize everything, do everything online. And December of 2020, this was around seven months before I actually moved back to America. So December 2020, I had a flight to LA. I had to fix something in LA. Unknowingly, that was like practice run for the Philippines. That was the time I set up the website. So I was like, okay, let's give it a go. I won't be there. Let's give it a go. Let's try it. People started ordering on the website. Then I would forward the orders to my kitchen in the Philippines. I mean, of course, we still had mistakes, but it looked like it was going to work. And then come 2021, when I moved back, I had to let it go. I had to trust what I started. I had to trust that the system would work. I had to accept that I will make mistakes, which I did a lot of times. You know, in the beginning, since our time zones are different, in the beginning, I couldn't sleep at night here in L.A. because it, it was daytime in the Philippines. And I had to make sure that the orders would get to the customers. It was difficult. And, you know, in the beginning, too, I would wake up to customers being like, where's my order? I'm like, oh, crap, this can't be. So I had to find a solution to that. I hired someone to facilitate the orders from kitchen to customer. So that relieved me from that headache. And that's how it's working right now. Up to this day, that's how it's working. Now, you said that you had the orders going to the kitchen in the Philippines. Is that like a co-packer? Like, are they making the product for you? Or did you like hire employees to make the products in this commercial kitchen? So the term we use is the commissary. So it's a professional kitchen and we have a contract that for them to make my cakes and keep the recipes within them. So that's who they are. They make the cakes for me. Okay, so interesting. So yeah, I mean, a commissary kitchen in the US would be like, you know, just a kitchen that you personally go use. And you need to hire someone to work there if you wanted anything to get made. So it's like a co-packer, I guess. I mean, that's the that would be the US term, I suppose. You know, it's funny you say that because when I first came back, I was like, okay, Google commissary. And then I'm like, wait, but there are no people. <laughs> it doesn't make sense. So it means I have to hire them. It's like, yeah, it took me for a spin in the, in the beginning. But I don't know if you know the story over here. It's, I want to say, fate that brought us together. But I did find a similar setup here. 
So when I started LA, I was making the cakes myself, delivering it myself. Oh, no, no. I hired a delivery person. This delivery person, by accident, texted a customer and said, hey, you're going to get pajama baker cakes. But the customer goes, huh, I didn't order any. You probably texted the wrong number. Then the girl goes, okay. Oh, and then the girl who got the wrong message Googled pajama baker. And then she was like, oh, interesting. She makes frozen cakes. Apparently, this person who got the wrong message is the daughter of an ice cream shop. No, an ice cream kitchen owner. So they all, they make ice cream. And so one thing led to another. We talked and then I asked them, could you make my cakes? And then luckily, I mean, I don't know what, it, what you call it, but it was coincidence. They were looking for a new business model. They didn't want to just stick to their ice cream. They wanted to venture out into something else. And frozen cake just made so much sense. It was in a kitchen where they had freezers and cream. I mean, it was fate. And to top it all off, they're Filipino-Americans too. I was like, okay, this is just meant to happen. So the setup in the Philippines is the same as the setup here. Yeah, no, that's a that's a crazy story. I mean, just the fact that they're also Filipino-American on top of everything. No, you know, I saved the text message and it's on my phone up to this day because I look back and I'm like, wow, look at that. Look at this story. It's just amazing. I feel like when you have something like that, it shows like you must be on purpose, right? Do you feel like this is like what you're destined to do? I mean, there are moments there of self-doubt. You know, but I guess it's every business entrepreneur story. There are really moments where you're like, okay, am I doing the right thing? Is this really it? But when I reflect back to that moment, yes, this is it. And yes, it can grow into something else. So I am sure this is the path for me. And I'm sure this is just the beginning. I mean, there is so much more to do. And my main goal in life is to just have feel good anything, you know, like make my kids feel good make strangers feel good. So it is a purpose. I, you know, I want to say I found my purpose. It's still, it's still budding. Like it's still starting, but I know I'm on the right track. You said that you have moments of self-doubt. Like what are some of the struggles that you've faced in trying to get this business off the ground in two countries? It's really time management because again, like what I said at the beginning, my first job is being a mother and my kids are oh, 10 and six. So they're not fully independent. Like they still rely on me for a lot. So time management is a struggle, but I don't regret that. I don't feel bad about it, but I know that's one of the reasons why it's not as fast as I would like it to be. But needless to say, I'm also very happy with the progress. I'm happy that every day there's still something going on and it's not the end of the road for me. Every day there's still Everything's still, there's still an order. So that's amazing. And I actually hired someone in the Philippines to help me with social media too. So that it's just, there are signs of growth. And that for me is okay. That for me makes me happy. Yeah. I mean, so obviously there was this Dalgona TikTok craze, right? And then obviously people were cooped up in the pandemic. They were looking for comfort food. They were spending a lot of time on social media. So have you like seen your business kind of slow down since that time? Right, because of the trend. Um, 
No, <laughs> no. And thank God, no, because it is a really good flavor, a really good cake. So no, thank God I didn't rely on that. But that also got me thinking I shouldn't stick to the name Dalgona because I didn't want to be associated with the trend. I mean, coffee alone is good. I am thinking of eventually switching the name to Espresso. Did I see sales go down? Yes, I did. That's why I am converting or I am moving to a brick and mortar in the Philippines because people are out and you got to be where the people are. Here in America, I'm still doing it online because it's just me here with my kids. So it's a struggle. So I need to stay online for me to be able to function as a mother first. Do I want to be in a brick and mortar? Yes. And I'm working on that too. The best route for me would be wholesaling in the in stores and in restaurants. So that's in the works. Again, it's not as, as fast paced as I want to, but I'm going to get there. I'm just thinking about these two businesses. And I know you've got like, there's so many different moving pieces in both businesses in both countries. How many people are currently working to help maintain and keep this going? Oh, wow. That's a good question. I don't have a count because it's all outsourced. So kitchen is outsourced. Three bakers in the kitchen in the Philippines, I want to say. Here in America, it's two main bakers. And then I, they hire assistant bakers when they make the cakes. But that's also outsourced. My social media is outsourced. And my warehouse is outsourced. So I don't have a, like a solid headcount for that. Were you pretty like comfortable with outsourcing work with just in the process of building up your clothing business? Like, was that something you did to to build that one? No, actually, I wasn't. So, like with this cake, it's the pajama baker. So it is the baker. So in the beginning, I was like, it's gonna be me, everything me, because it's the pajama baker. It's me. But later on, I realized to scale this business, I can't do everything. I can't control everything too. I mean, I'm going to be making what, 50 kicks a day and then I'm going to time myself out. No time to do the social media work and all that. So it took me a while to realize that. I mean, even giving my recipe, you know how hard <laughs> that is? Like that's your bread and butter and you don't want just some random stranger knowing it. It was a struggle, but it was also, oh, what was it? Maybe like a... COVID awakening, you know, where I was like, but this is your chance. There's an opportunity. You got to grab it while it's hot. And so, yeah, I gave in after that. My social media, even that was a bit of a struggle in the beginning because I, I wanted to control what people see. But finding the right people actually helps. It helps you still keep up with the demand. It helps people still know your brand. It helps you function. It helps the whole business. So yeah, it was a struggle in the beginning, but I know it was needed. And now outsourcing is my go-to. It's the way to go. Well, I noticed something interesting. When you started your Instagram account, this is way back in May of 2020, right? Just after the pandemic hit. And, you know, you posted a few pictures on your Instagram account and they were fine, but they, I mean, it looked like you had taken them with your phone or something. There wasn't anything wrong with them. But then like, I'd say within the first two weeks, it just all of a sudden shifted to bam, like amazing food photography. So did you hire a food photographer for that? Yes. And that's where the branding part comes in. When I had my clothing business, I had a vision 
And the same with this. I had a vision, but I had to experiment. That's why if you see the first few photos were from my phone, because I wanted to see, okay, well, people even follow. But when I started seeing people following, I was like, okay, I better start building it the way I envision it to be. So early on, I knew it had to be professional. Early on, I knew people would see the photos and it had to be photos that you want to bite. You want to bite it when you see it. So I knew early on that this was what I wanted it to look like. Actually, it did take a while. I had this like vague concept. And then I hired, I outsourced a marketing expert to help me narrow down the vision. That helped a lot. Now you can see clearly what Padama Baker is. You will know, okay, it's like luxury, it's elegant, but it's also very simple and just feel good. Like it was so, it's easy to spot because I did that partnership with a marketing expert. It seems like you had quite an investment into the business, both businesses really. You know, obviously you're you're putting some investment, not only in time, but money into you know trying to get this business off the ground in the Philippines and then obviously moving over to the United States. That was an investment as well. Like it seemed like you're taking kind of big risks. I mean, I know it grew organically, but like I guess especially with the LA move, like how did you research like risk assessment? I didn't. <laughs> I didn't. Well I guess I guess you can say I'm a risk taker. And I just, I'm very goal oriented and I knew what I wanted, which meant I knew I wanted to get there. And it, the risk was there, but I just, it wasn't in the forefront. I knew. And and maybe also that's why it's taking time because I, I would have called for an investor, right? I would have, I, I could have called for someone to invest in the company, but I'm not ready for that. It's probably one of those things where it's hard to let go. It's the same as outsourcing, like, it's not yet time, maybe eventually, but right now, the risk I take is very calculated because I have a goal. So I didn't do research. For me, the goal was more important than the risk. <laughs> Does that make sense? <laughs> Did you ever think you'd be running a business of this size and scope? No, no, but it was always a dream. Yeah, I, I saw a quote from you. You said, the pandemic made me realize that life can change in an instant. And if we don't act on our dreams, it will remain intangible. Exactly. And my dream doesn't end here. I still want to expand some more. And it may take a few more years. I don't, I don't want another COVID to hit for me to for me to act on it. But yeah. That's what it was. I didn't want to settle for just keeping it as a dream. I wanted to act on it. That's surprising to hear because, you know, you were already running a business before this, right? Like you're already running your clothing business. So it's not like, I don't know, it didn't seem like you needed to fill this dream of running a business. So what's this dream that you're pursuing? Oh, it's it's a dream to have something international, to bring pride to the Filipinos, basically, because having a business internationally means Filipinos can compete globally. And that's maybe a chip on my shoulder. Maybe it was a goal. Maybe I just wanted to prove that, hey, you're not just a Filipino. If you're Filipino with a dream, you can make it. Act on it, you can make it. And so where would you, like, are you wanting to expand into more countries? Like, is this something you'd like to take across the entire world? Yes, I do have friends who are already signed up. Like, they're like, okay, if you're opening in Australia, let me know. <laughs> if you're in London, let me know. I'm like, okay, 
we can talk. We can actually do this because now after opening America, I realized, okay, there is just one sort of step-by-step program to do this. And we can do it in any country. It's just finding the right people, of course, timing. But that's my big plan. My big goal is to have pajama baker everywhere. And my big goal is also not to stop at frozen cakes, expand it into something else. But who knows? We'll we'll see when we get there. (laughs) Well, you know, when you expanded into L.A., right, and you had a U.S. base and you were selling online, right, you could have reached the whole country, right? I mean, you weren't starting a cottage food business. It's not even... These aren't even allowed as a cottage food business in California. So, you know, you could have shipped across the country, right? Like, but I know you decided to just only deliver locally. What went into that decision? Oh, it was uh, more of a logistics issue. Oh, well, it's a delivery issue. I still have to figure out how to deliver a frozen cake to a different state. And I did some research. I did some interviews about that. So it is dry ice, but then apparently you're supposed to take classes to be able to deliver dry ice because it's a hazmat item. So that one of the goals too, one of those that I kind of put in my back pocket, but the plan is to get there too, figure out how to deliver to a different state and keep the cost low. Because I mean, let's face it, who would pay for a $200 frozen cake, right? So figure those things out then. I know there are brands that ship frozen goods from different states. I've seen like cheesecakes from New York being shipped to LA. So I just need to figure out how they do it. Then the plan is to do it for Pajama Baker as well. Let's talk about pricing a little bit. When you introduced these cakes early on in the pandemic into the Philippines, what were you charging for your cakes at first? Okay, so in the Philippines right now, it's like $8.50 for a cake. In the beginning, I sold it for like $6.50. Pricing in the Philippines is very different because obviously labor is cheaper. Also, the cake size is a little bit smaller by like 0.5 inches. And ingredients are way cheaper. So obviously, the factors for the pricing in the Philippines would be different. In the beginning, the $6 price point was enough for me because I was doing it at home. I didn't have to pay for workers. I didn't have a license to pay for. And I thought that was the fair price. You know how it is in the beginning, you're you're scared to, to price. You think, oh my God, it's going to be overpriced. No one will buy it. People will think it's a scam. But one thing I realized, and I've learned this from my marketing expert friend, she was like, pricing puts you in the right place. If you price it low, yes, you'll have all these customers, but also all these headaches because they probably won't value your cake how much you value it. And when I increased the prices, I did notice a shift in my customers. And these are people who wouldn't buy a cake just because it was trending. They really enjoyed the flavor. So yeah, so that's how pricing was. Here in America, it was very straightforward because I've already had that experience in the Philippines. So I figured, okay, get the price that sounds right, you know, and everything is covered. That's why we're here at $39 and or $35. Strawberry Nutella is $39, the rest are $35. Yeah, I know you're doing like $35 and up in the U.S. And is that what you introduced it as when you started it over a year ago in L.A.? It was $30 or 28 I forget, something like that, not 35 
one of the things I forgot to include in costing in the beginning was, of course, labor because I was doing it myself and ingredients. In the beginning, it was easy to source ingredients because it was a very small operation. When the LA market grew, I had to purchase more things and it now became a professional department. We had to call distributors to get the ingredients. Actually, one of the the main ingredients, the main cream is actually a Philippine cream. And that's not easy to find here in LA. So that alone contributed to the increase in the costing. So we had to increase it to 35 and 39 respectively. Did you have to change your cakes to start producing in the US just due to different ingredients? Yes. Yes, I did. Oh, that's a good question because R&D took a while and I tasted so many cakes while doing it. Ingredients are the same, but you know, the measurements are different. And I didn't know that when I started. It's in the same can, the same brand. But if you look at the weight of the same, let's say, cream, it's different. So proportions were different. Plus the can size here is bigger. So everything had to change. Even crust to butter, it was a whole different show. So that took a lot of research in eating. <laughs> but we narrowed it down. We got it to, we ha- now we have this magic recipe. And now that's what we use for the American pajama baker. Would you say that the cake is actually different in the U.S. than it is in the Philippines? That's so funny you ask. You know how Oreo is different? <laughs> like Oreo in the Philippines is different from Oreos here in America? It's probably the same logic. It's the same cake, but it has this something. It tastes a little bit different, <laughs> but it's the same thing. <laughs> what would you say, like, I mean, thinking about maybe customer preferences, it sounds like the difference in these cakes is just due to logistics and ingredients, but like, Also, when you sell in different places, you're obviously selling to customers' tastes. People have different tastes in different places. So did you run into that at all, like with the reception of your cakes in the different countries? Yes. Filipinos have a sweet tooth. No, actually, Americans have sweet tooth too. But let me think. Did I run into difference in flavors? I do want to say that I learned later on that Americans are very conscious with their diet. And so in America, I had to come up with a gluten-free cake. That's why our strawberry Nutella and our Dalgona coffee are both gluten-free. For speculas, I couldn't make it gluten-free because speculas itself isn't gluten-free, but the crust is gluten-free. So those were the little modifications I had to do here. Flavor-wise, I mean, frozen cake is sweet. So in both countries, it's a sweet treat. I noticed here in America during the summer, there is a peak in sales. And Christmas, even if it's cold, well, maybe because of gatherings. But in Manila, it is hot like all year round. So there's there's not a significant difference in the Philippines. But here in America, yeah, you can see the, the, the difference. Like during the summer summer months, oh, wow. It's like, it's actually very satisfying to have a frozen cake during a hot summer day. <laughs> You know, you're talking about the pricing in LA being $35 and up and obviously wanting to do gluten-free and that 
Filipinos have a sweeter tooth. Uh, I feel like it's just the uniqueness of L.A., right? Like $35 only sounds about right because it's L.A. And, you know, obviously people are going to be a lot more conscious about what goes into their food. And it's just sort of the unique area of the U.S., I think, that you started this. You probably could have done the same cakes that you do in the Philippines and other parts of the country, I'd imagine. I, I get that. I see that. I see that. But there's also one thing like people would compare the prices like if they would convert it and they'll be like, but why is it this much in the Philippines? I'm like, OK, one thing, it's not gluten free in the Philippines. So, yeah, that's a, that's something that's like a funny. It's a common question. And it's so funny that when I tell them it's gluten free over here, they'll be like, oh, OK, that's so L.A. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, things in the Philippines are just not the same price as the United States, obviously. But I was wondering, like, you know, you said you started at $6, you moved it up to, I think, eight fifty. What is that like in the Philippines? Is that actually a high price or is that an like higher end price or is that a low price? Or can you give us a sense for what the pricing was like in the eyes of somebody in the Philippines? So the cakes are, are very unique since it's a frozen cake. So it's hard to compare, but I would compare it to the other cakes that are, um, what is it called? Like a dream cake. They call it a dream cake. The better brand of the dream cake are priced almost the same, but there are cheaper dream cake brands that are not at par flavor wise, I want to say, but price wise, it's almost the same as the dream cake. And so it's not, it's in a good position. It's like cheap luxury, but not cheap, cheap. It's luxurious, but it's not like a $20 cake, but it's simple luxury. So I I saw that, I guess, at least in the early days, it might have been pandemic stuff too, but you're building this business and starting to catch on. And, you know, you not only are growing as a business, but you're growing as a person too. And you said you had to hire a therapist. I, I guess things are overwhelming. Like, can you talk about what, like how you've grown as a person through building this business? Oh, wow. I can take forever <laughs> answering this, but growing, starting a business is unfolding or removing so many layers of you as a person. I realized that, oh, I tend to be very controlling. So I had to figure out how to let that go. I tend to be very sensitive with customers. It stresses me out every time there's like unhappy customer. It stresses me out to the point that I can't eat. I feel like it's my fault. I had to figure that out. I had to process it. It's a business. You can't be emotional, even if you're emotionally attached to it. And so I needed a therapist to process things with. I had things like, you know, how parents are. They try to give you the best advice, but that's the best for them. And then I realized some things were like, but that's not what I think it's best. But it was hard for me to wear my adult pants and be like, I need to make this decision because I know it's what's right for my brand. And as I mentioned, my father is a businessman. So when he was giving me like an advice that I didn't believe in, it was hard for me to go against that. And it took so much courage and therapy and healing to be able to say, no, I think this is what I want to do. And I want to point out that I guess it's probably like in our culture where you you respect your elders way too much to the point where all your decisions are based of, of what they tell you. So it took me a while to to also get to that point to realize that I was doing that. And I needed the therapy to see that and then to heal from that. 
it's amazing. There's, there are a lot of self-doubt moments when you're running a business. So how do you deal with that? How do you, first, you got to figure out what's, what's causing that self-doubt. Then you need to attack that cause. And it took me so, I mean, I'm still going through it now, but it was therapy that helped me. It gave me courage to even take that leap. Okay, go back to LA and start it. I needed to be strong enough to be able to do it here. So yes, and up until now, up until now, my therapist is on my speed dial. <laughs> if you could go back in time to the beginning of this, what advice would you give yourself? Or what advice would you give another mompreneur or home baker who's trying to get off the ground? You have to take things, and literally, this is, it is very important. You have to take things one step at a time. It can get so overwhelming. Your kids don't stop growing too. So while they're doing things 100 miles per hour, you got to keep up with them. It, but then you also have to remember the side business that you have. And so don't let that frustrate you. Know that you, again, like what I said earlier, knowing what your job is first, being a mom is first. It's okay. It's okay if things in your business are not as fast as your kids are growing up. It's okay. You got to take things one step at a time. You got to learn how to be open to so many changes, like unexpected curveballs. I think one of the best traits that I probably learned over time is to be able to adjust to things quickly. And that's one of the most important traits that you need as a business owner. You see, like my example, I was online since the beginning, but now when things started opening up, I had to change. And that's the only way you can have a successful business. If you know how to change with the times, don't settle for what you started with. You will never grow if you stay in your safety zone. You got to be open to change. You got to be open to being uncomfortable, embracing that. I mean, the rewards are just way too good to pass up. Well, clearly you're doing something right because you now have an international brand what does it feel like to be able to say, like, I'm the owner of an international brand? I'm still going through therapy. <laughs> That's one of the things that I got to work on. I am still, I don't have this sense of ownership. It's not, maybe also it's because my purpose is really for other people to feel good. It's not me. It's not about me. It's not about my business. It's not about my business growing. It's really for other people to have this sense of comfort. As you know, you had a long day at work. Get your pajama baker can <laughs> and, and feel good about yourself afterwards. So I, I can't answer that and say, oh, it feels good to have this international brand because I'm not there. I do this for the feeling good factor. I don't do it for myself. I don't. It's just I, I can't own and say, oh, it's amazing to have this business. It's I guess it's a purpose. So I, I don't know if that makes sense. It's there's no ownership there. Where do you feel like the business would have to be for you to feel like successful? Yeah. That's what my therapist asked me one time. He was like, how would you know if you're successful? I still don't have an answer to that because that's what I'm working on. Where does it stop? What's that point that will make you say, okay, I made it. I'm still working on that. And I just don't know when it's safe to say it's successful. But hearing me talk about it today, I was like, okay, maybe that was a good journey. I mean, we were, we're now in R&D for both countries. So I'm a creator. I like new things right away. I like getting to the point where I can start selling them. Right now, we're both in research. So I'm like, okay, this is boring for me. 
And I sort of lost that fire. But doing this with you today was like, this is exciting. What am I talking about? We've come this far. This is like just the beginning of the journey. (laughs) I guess I'm impatient. (laughs) Fair enough. Well, I mean, you're, you said it's important to do things step by step. Maybe you don't know like the end goal of what is going to look like a success, but what are your next steps? What are you looking forward to say, you know, next year? Yes. So here in LA, I want to be able to ship to different states. I also want to be able to have the cakes in restaurants and in stores. Actually, that's already almost there. We started developing a solo size cake. It's still in the works, but we're working on that because the restaurants here, they don't want to be, they don't want to be the one slicing the cake. They want to just serve it to the customer because obviously it's labor. So we're working on solo sizes here in LA. In the Philippines, we are working on getting ourselves in one of the biggest groceries. We are also developing a new product that will be an add-on to the frozen cake. So that's a little, a, a sort of a in the works and it's sort of a secret. So I can't really uh, talk about the new product in the Philippines. It's, I mean, it's so cool to see where your business has come just over two short years It's an amazing story through and through, and I'm looking forward to seeing where it is going to go in the future. So anyway, thanks so much, Juno. Now, if people want to learn more about you, where can they find you or how can they reach out? So the website is lavpajamabaker.com. Our social media is thepajamabaker underscore LA. Um, you can order cakes from the website, but you can also talk to me on Instagram. I'm the one replying. I'm the one, you know, if you have any questions about frozen cakes, I'm there. I'll I'll reply to you right away. Um, but yeah, those are the two ways you can buy the cakes and reach out. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing with us today. Oh my gosh, you're so welcome. Thank you for having me. That wraps up another episode of the Forger Podcast. For more information about this episode, go to forger.com slash podcast slash 77. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please take a quick moment right now and leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. It doesn't have to be a long review, but it's truly the best way to support this show and will help others like you find this podcast. And finally, if you're thinking about selling your own homemade food, check out my free mini course where we walk you through the steps you need to take to get a cottage food business off the ground. To get the course, go to cottagefoodcourse.com. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you in the next episode.